Welcome to the Truly Missed Podcast. I'm Candace, and each week I will tell you about underreported missing people of color. All people of color must be vigilant in reporting crimes and evidence to help bring back loved ones when possible and give closure when it is impossible. According to the Williams Institute, a person of the LGBTQ community is four times more likely to experience violent victimizations and six times more likely for it to be at the hands of someone they know. Resources will be available at the end of the show, like always. We aren't exactly discussing specific violence on today's show, but once I get into the episode, I do mention the theories. Today, we will discuss Sage Smith. She was born male, but had just started identifying as female in the most recent days before her disappearance. I'm going to use male pronouns describing Sage in childhood, and then use female pronouns once I get to that point in the story. Sage Smith was born Deshaud LaQuinn Smith on December 13, 1992 in Charlottesville, Virginia to Latasha and Dean. Deshaud had a troubled childhood. Shortly after birth, his parents divorced and he lived with his mom. It's unknown exactly what happened, but something led to Deshaud being placed in foster care for some time. Eventually, he moved in with his grandmother Lolita and things began to turn around. Deshaud came out to his grandmother as gay and eventually decided that he would identify as female and go by Sage full time. It took some time for her family to accept her, but eventually they did come around. Despite all these challenges in Sage's life, she was described as energetic, outgoing, and loving. On June 11, 2011, Sage became the first member of her family to graduate high school. The following year, March 2012, she moved in with two other transgender roommates, Aubrey and Shakira. She was enrolled in cosmetology school at the time and well on her way to coming into her own. On Monday, November 19, 2012, 19-year-old Sage and her roommates threw a party at their apartment. A young woman arrived and tried to fight one of Sage's friends, which ultimately led to Sage fighting a man named Jamal. That night, the police came because Sage damaged Jamal's car, but no arrests were made in the incident. Sage and Shakira started to argue after the incident because Shakira did not back Sage in the fight. The argument escalated to the point where Shakira leaves the apartment for a few days to blow off some steam. The following day, November 20th, 2012, Sage calls her dad and asks for some money. And she also made plans to see her family for Thanksgiving, which was coming up very soon. She let her other roommate, Aubrey, know that she was going on a date and then she left that night. When she didn't return home on the 21st, Aubrey tried to call her a few times before calling the grandmother, Lolita. When Sage doesn't show up for Thanksgiving dinner, they file a missing persons report with the Charlottesville Police Department. Phone records show Sage communicated with an unsaved number multiple times. Sage is seen near Wild Wings Cafe right next to an Amtrak station on West Main Street, then later seen walking down the street. Both times, she was alone. After that, Sage is never seen again. Sage's family posted the number to a Facebook page, and one of Sage's friends, Yami Ortiz, recognized the number as belonging to Eric McFadden. According to Yami, Eric and Sage were dating, but Eric had not come out as gay or bisexual to anyone. In fact, he was in a relationship with a woman named Esther. Allegedly, Eric had been paying Sage to keep their relationship a secret. Eric's girlfriend, Esther, calls the police to do a welfare check on him because she was out of town during the time of this incident and she couldn't get a hold of him. Eric worked at a Sherwin-Williams paint store and police found out after Sage's disappearance that he hadn't been to work for three days. On November 25th, he calls his girlfriend and tells her he's in Washington, D.C. and that he needs money. He says that Sage made up stories about him and that they weren't in any type of relationship. He calls back on the 27th and now he says he's in New York and he admits that him and Sage did have a relationship and they were supposed to meet at the Amtrak station, but Sage never showed. 
According to phone records and eyewitness, the night goes a little something like this. At 5.17, Sage texts McFadden when she's leaving. At 5.20, Eric responds and says that he's already at the Hampton Inn. From 5.20 to 5.40, they communicate back and forth. At 6.08, Eric asks Sage where she is. Between 6.18 and 6.30, Eric sends several more messages, at which time Sage is on the call, so she may have not have seen these messages. At 6.30, Eric texts Sage and says that she stood him up. 6.37, she's seen at the cafe and tells him that she's five minutes away. At 6.37, she is seen at the cafe and tells someone that she's five minutes away on the phone. At 6.40, Sage is seen walking west on Main Street for the last time. Eric was supposed to return to Charlottesville to talk to the police, but he emailed Esther 30 minutes before he was expected to arrive, explaining what really happened that night and that he wasn't coming back at all. He was headed out west. In his email, he said that he did go to meet Sage and they were approached by a, a group of people. He says that Sage had enemies and he just left her there before anything could happen to him. What I don't understand is if they had any type of relationship, even being friends, why would you leave someone in danger? Eric has never been seen again, and he is also now considered a missing person. The enemies Eric was allegedly speaking of could have been one of Sage's exes. Sage dated closeted men. And one of these men's girlfriend uncovered some emails between the two. The man blamed Sage for the situation and assaulted him. Charges were brought against this man for his assault. He could not have been a suspect in Sage's disappearance, though, because he was already in prison for unrelated crime. We'll get back to Eric in a minute, but for now, let's talk about a few more things that unfold after Sage vanishes. On December 3rd, Sage's credit card is used. On the surveillance camera, it's discovered that it's Aubrey using her card to buy groceries. Question about it, she says that her and Aubrey were close. Aubrey's unusual behavior was noticed after Sage went missing. Aubrey was also seen wearing her clothes and using her things. She also acted like she didn't know Eric and had never seen him, but she had just met Eric the Saturday before when she hung out with him and Sage. Kiara, Sage's stepsister, also believed that Ari was jealous. No evidence has ever been linked to Ari, and she is not a suspect. There's another friend that was also wearing her things when she went missing and lied about it. It was a locket. So now we have three people that acted very suspiciously in the days following Sage's disappearance. Eric, who was also now considered missing. Aubrey, who used the Sage's credit card after she vanished. And a third unnamed person who was wearing Sage's locket but claimed that her boyfriend gave it to her. Cases like this are always tough because there's always quite a few shady players in the game. Sage didn't seem to have a lot of real friends in her corner, unfortunately. Instead of looking for her, they were comfortable using her things and even her money while she was missing especially the one who used her credit card. If it was your friend, you shouldn't be using their money while they're missing, period. In 2015, the police root Eric out as a suspect, but they don't say how. Then a few years later, they changed Sage's case to a homicide and again list Eric McFadden as a person of interest. The police never state why they make any of these changes and really don't speak on this incident much after. The release said no single element of this investigation led to the decision to reclassify the case. However, investigators believe that based on all the available information, a homicide designation is the most appropriate at this time. This could mean that they really just up and decided to change Sage's case to a homicide, or they have key evidence that could be pointing to this outcome. I do feel like one possibility is she went to meet Eric and then possibly got into some sort of argument and Eric lured Sage somewhere and he heard her. He sent those messages as an alibi and then he left town. He was not open about his sexuality and there is a possibility that he could have been outed and he may have acted in rage and fear. But we can't exclude the fact that Sage has been harassed and bullied before for being gay and then later transgender. Police suspect that foul play immediately as transgender people often face hate crimes and extreme violence. 
Now, I think Arby is a very shady character, but I don't think that there's enough here to point to say that Arby is a killer. She shouldn't have used her friend's things, especially right after she went missing, but that doesn't necessarily point to murder. Just bad judgment. If they were really close friends, then she probably just thought that Sage would turn up eventually and then she could just use her stuff until she came back and deal with it later. And she only bought groceries that we know of. To me, this says that she really thought Sage would come back at some point. However, her alibi was not confirmed and the police found several holes in her stories each time she spoke with them. And Shakira, the other roommate, told the police that she didn't feel right about Aubrey using Sage's things. So I won't rule her out, but it's not really enough here to point to her definitively. Another scenario is what if Sage was met by foul play by someone who saw Eric and Sage together and threatened to out Eric? This might not been an enemy of Sage, but of Eric. Or a group of people that didn't know the pair at all, but just didn't like gay people in general. Eric possibly witnessed something happen to Sage and fled out of fear. This is more like the second story he told Esther in the email, which I feel based on the evidence is closest to the truth. The police may have had Eric as a person of interest because they had their eye on someone else. In 2020, the police department's new chief admitted that the case was not handled properly. The family said the police has not been open with them about the investigation. They didn't interview Aubrey right away. They didn't prevent Eric's trash from being collected, even though being instructed to do so. They weren't looking as hard as they could have been. Regardless of any lifestyle, race, income, religious belief, etc., every person missing deserves to be looked for. Every one of those people has a family that's looking for them and looking for answers. At the time of Sage's disappearance, she was 5'11", about 130 pounds, with dark brown hair and brown eyes, usually wearing braids. In some sources, she's listed as 5'8", but I will use what's on the Facebook page that the family started, so 5'11", it is. She was last seen wearing a black jacket, dark gray sweatpants, a black scarf, and black boots. Her ears and eyebrows are pierced. She was 19 at the time of her disappearance and would be 29 today. Eric McFadden is also presumed missing. I saw on the Facebook page in the comments that he may be going by Errol Williams as late as 2021. Please note, I verified as much information as possible, but there are discrepancies down to the missing person's facts. I went with the information that I felt was most accurate and mostly that came from the family that was directly involved in this case. If you have any information, please contact Crime Stoppers at 434-977-4000, the Charlottesville Police Department at 434-970-3280. A $20,000 reward is being offered for any credible information on where Sage may be. You can also use the Charlie Project link in the show notes. Please don't contact these people unless you have real information. If you are transgender and you need help of any kind, you can call the Trans Lifeline at 877-565-8860 or visit the translifeline.org. Life can be difficult for everyone, and I do feel it's always best to connect with someone who can understand your needs, so I will always provide these type of resources for every group of people that I can. If you know of any other resources, please go ahead and send them to me. This podcast is a safe space for all people of color, all walks of life. We deal with only two specific groups and everyone that falls under those umbrellas, and those are people of color and the missing. You can follow on Instagram at Truly Miss Podcast, like the Facebook page, or send us an email at trulymisspodcast at gmail.com. Please follow and rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Every rating gets the show closer to a bigger audience. These stories need to be heard. 
If you have a story that you would like to share or any tips for any of the cases that I've already shared, please DM or email me. I focus on the people of color as these stories don't get as much coverage as they should be getting. Hopefully, we can build this community one listener at a time. All sources, as always, are listed in the show notes. Please help this family and other families get one step closer to bringing their loved one home. Sage is truly missed.